and come in as we were talking, and when the good woman found her sitting on my bed, she would say nothing, only wondering at my kindness. Lucie would then cover her with kisses, and the kind old soul would entreat me to give her child lessons of goodness, and to cultivate her mind. But when she had left us, Lucie did not think herself more unrestrained, and whether in or out of her mother's presence, she was always the same without the slightest change. If the society of this angelic child afforded me the sweetest delight, it also caused me the most cruel suffering. Often, very often, when her face was close to my lips, I felt the most ardent temptation to smother her with kisses, and my blood was at fever heat when she wished that she had been a sister of mine. But I kept sufficient command over myself to avoid the slightest contact, for I was conscious that even one kiss would have been the spark would have been the spark which would have blown up all the edifice of my reserve. Every time she left me, I remained astounded at my own victory, but always eager to win fresh laurels, I longed for the following morning panting for a renewal of this sweet yet very dangerous contest. At the end of ten or twelve days, I felt that there was no alternative but to put a stop to this state of things, or to become a monster in my own eyes, and I decided for the moral side of the question all the more easily that nothing ensured me success if I chose the second alternative. The moment I placed her under the obligation to defend herself, Lucy would become a heroine, and the door of my room being open, I might have been exposed to shame and to a very useless repentance. This rather frightened me, yet to put an end to my torture I did not know what to decide. I could no longer resist the effect made upon my senses by this beautiful girl, who at the break of day and and scarcely dressed, ran gaily into my room, came to my bed, inquiring how I had slept, bent familiarly her head towards me, and, so to speak, dropped her words on my lips. In those dangerous moments I would turn my head aside, but in her innocence she would reproach me for being afraid when she felt herself so safe, and if I answer that I could not possibly fear a child, she would reply that a difference of two years was of no account. Standing at bay, exhausted, conscious that every instant increased the ardor which was devouring me, I resolved to entreat from herself the discontinuance of her visits, and this resolution appeared to me sublime and infallible but having postponed its execution until the following morning, I passed a dreadful night, tortured by the image of Lucy, and by the idea that I would see her in the morning for the last time. I fancied that Lucy would not only grant my prayer, but that she would conceive for me the highest esteem. In the morning it was barely daylight, Lucy beaming, radiant with beauty, a happy smile brightening her pretty mouth, and her splendid hair in the most fascinating disorder, bursts into my room and rushes with open arms towards my bed. But when she sees my pale, dejected, and unhappy countenance, she stops short, and her beautiful face taking an expression of sadness and anxiety. 
"'What ails you?' she asks, with deep sympathy. "'I have had no sleep through the night.' "'And why?' "'Because I have made up my mind to impart to you a project which, although fraught with misery to myself, will at least secure me your esteem.' "'But if your project is to ensure my esteem, it ought to make you very cheerful. Only tell me, reverend sir, why, after calling me thou yesterday, you treat me to-day respectfully like a lady? What have I done?' I will get your coffee, and you must tell me everything after you have drunk it. I long to hear you. She goes and returns, I drink the coffee, and seeing that my countenance remains grave, she tries to enliven me, contrives to make me smile, and claps her hands for joy. After putting everything in order, she closes the door, because the wind is high, and in her anxiety not to lose one word of what I have to say, she entreats artlessly a little place near me. I cannot refuse her, for I feel almost lifeless. I then begin a faithful recital of the fearful state in which her beauty has thrown me, and a vivid picture of all the suffering I have experienced in trying to master my ardent wish to give her some proof of my love. I explain to her that, unable to endure such torture any longer, I see no other safety but in entreating her not to see me any more. The importance of the subject, the truth of my love, my wish to present my expedient in the light of her heroic effort of a deep and virtuous passion, lend me a peculiar eloquence. I endeavor above all to make her realize the fearful consequences which might follow a course different to the one I was proposing, and how miserable we might be. At the close of my long discourse, Lucy, seeing my eyes wet with tears, throws off the bedclothes to wipe them, without thinking that in so doing she uncovers two globes, the beauty of which might have caused the wreck of the most experienced pilot. After a short silence, the charming child tells me that my tears make her very unhappy, and that she had never supposed that she could cause them. All that you have just told me, she added, proves the sincerity of your great love for me, but I cannot imagine why you should be in such a, th a dread of a feeling which affords me the most intense pleasure. You wish to banish me from your presence because you stand in fear of your love, but what would you do if you hated me? Am I guilty because I have pleased you? If it is a crime to have won your affection, I can assure you that I did not think I was committing a criminal action, and therefore you cannot conscientiously punish me. Yet I cannot conceal the truth. I am very happy to be loved by you. As for the danger we run, when we love danger which I can understand, we can set it at defiance. If we choose, and I wonder at my not fearing it, ignorant as I am, while you, a learned man, think it so terrible. I am astonished that love, which is not a disease, should have made you ill, and that it should have exactly the opposite effect upon me. Is it possible that I am mistaken, and that my feelings toward you should not be love? You saw me very cheerful when I came in this morning. 
It is because I have been dreaming all night, but my dreams did not keep me awake. Only several times I woke up to ascertain whether my dream was true, for I thought I was near you, and every time, finding that it was not so, I quickly went to sleep again in the hope of continuing my happy dream, and every time I succeeded. After such a night, was it not natural for me to be cheerful this morning? My dear Abbe, if love is a torment for you, I am very sorry, but would it be possible for you to live without love? I will do anything you order me to do, but, even if your cure depended upon it, I would not cease to love you, for that would be impossible. Yet if to heal your sufferings it should be necessary for you to love me no more, you must do your utmost to succeed, for I would much rather see you alive without love than dead for having loved too much. Only try to find some other plan, for the one you have proposed makes me very miserable. Think of it, there may be some other way which will be less painful." suggest one more practicable and depend upon lucy's obedience these 